Good morning to you. It's Wednesday morning. Keith Finnegan with you till 12 midday. Today on the programme, we asked an adoptee to call us back yesterday. We've had a long conversation. we go to her story quite shortly. We're looking also at the whole situation in relation to hotel quarantines, what's going on there. And also on today's programme, a former minister and current deputy in East Galway is going to uh, be cycling from Mizzen to Mallon in 24 hours. Why is he doing that? Today also, we're looking indeed at other uh, issues, including indeed we go motoring with uh, Jerry Murphy on today's programme. And uh, Philip James joins us. We're looking at a waterway survey which has taken place. We're also indeed uh, looking at other issues which include the new president of the Galway Chamber. And we're looking and joined by Jordan Ralph. Trevor Griffiths joins us today, I promise you that much. And we go to the Tech Bite with Harvey Norman. That and more between now and 12 midday. Plus, I have to give you my experience with the call centre yesterday in relation to FBD insurance. I swear to God, lads, when I didn't lose the plot altogether yesterday, uh, I will live forever. Now, I don't deal with call centres on an ongoing basis, but I had an experience with the FBD call centre yesterday. And it wasn't nice at all, to be quite honest. It was shocking bad, to be quite honest. And they had sent out a notice saying uh, that our insurance was up for the 28th of May. It didn't arrive uh, to our house, to our abode. So they sent out a letter on the 6th of uh, June to say, would you please contact us about your insurance, uh, which arrived yesterday. So posted 6th of uh, June, according to them, and then arrived in on the 15th of June, called them, and eventually they got through to a girl there, very pleasant girl called Anna, and she said, oh yeah, perfect, we'll do the renewal now. I said, fine, just away you go, do it if you don't mind. And then she came back and said, sorry, uh, the 28th or 27th, 28th of May is gone, uh, so it's a new policy. And she went through every question, my height, my date of birth, uh, my wife's date of birth, everything. I went on for 20 minutes and then she said, oh yeah, sorry now, I'll have to get that approved. Now I'm shortening this. This went on for an hour uh, yesterday, so it did. Uh, and then they ring back and say, yeah, the underwriters say no, we'll go with the renewal route rather than the new policy route. I said, we could have done that 40 minutes ago. And she was only following instructions, but I have to say, FBD, if you're listening this morning, would you ever get your stuff together, for God's sake? I would hate to have been an older person trying to do what I was doing yesterday, or somebody hard of hearing, or somebody who didn't have a bit of fight in them yesterday. Even one of my colleagues heard me shouting, not at her, but just at myself. I just couldn't believe the ineptness uh, of the company in question in relation to um, uh, insurance renewal. They've always rolled it over for the last 25 years. All of a sudden, because a letter they sent didn't arrive, and then renewal notice on the 6th of June, which arrived yesterday, just arrived yesterday, and was reacted to immediately. And just because their processes within FBD aren't up to standard, and they decided then that they put you through all this, I would hate to be dealing with call centres on an ongoing basis. Anyway, that's my little rant for today, and i um, not happy with FBD, I have to say, at all. Um, and there's some very good people in the girl in question, uh, is an excellent girl and dealt with it impeccably but just reading from the script so there you go and that's my rant but I just feel sorry for anybody going through call centres anyway in association with Lidl we're giving you a chance to win 200 euro Lidl voucher on the Buy Me app uh, today so when you hear this piece of music uh, today this piece of music when you hear it and you will hear it between 3 and 5 on the A-list with Alan Murphy today you pick one we'll pick one overall winner today once you call in or text or other. What you have to do is text us the name Lidl, uh, your name and where you're listening once you hear this piece of music.
So when you hear that, what you have to do, quite simply then, is you have to um, uh, text in 53995 or WhatsApp us to 0870-958-968 and uh, do so between 3 and 5 today when you hear that um, piece of music in full being played and you could be with the chance to win that €200 Euros worth of a, a Lidl voucher to spend on the Buy Me app, which is B-U-I-M-I-E app, and uh, download that if you're on Android or Apple today. Now, yesterday morning in the programme, I got a text as we were going off air uh, that goes as follows. Keith, as an adoptee, I really think uh, you've not got the grasp about how we were and are being treated in this country. I applied for my baptism certificate and I was told I wasn't entitled to it and I needed to beg the Bishop's Chancery uh, in Dublin to get a dispensation to get it. Who else has to do this, Keith? Question mark. Keith needs to sit down and listen to us and see that this is not just history. It is in the present day. I don't know uh, of even one adoptee or survivor that accepts or believes in this report. So it's not just certain people, it's all of us from there. So I asked then that the lady in question the person in question would call us that person is called Catherine she joins me on the line and she and I had a long conversation before I called FPD yesterday I have to say uh, about um, the experience that she's had but she is very articulate and joins me on the line Catherine good morning to you Keith I have to say I'm glad you called me before FPD and not afterwards (laughs) I was nearly. I, I, do you know what I was so? I was so vexed yesterday when I got home last night at seven o'clock. I was sent out for in, in in the rain with the dog for a walk. That's what happened. Listen, your your story is very important to me because we went through it yesterday, and uh, you were adopted indeed into a beautiful family. But uh, and you always knew that you were adopted uh, from there. But all the situations that we're talking about down through the last couple of months are still going on. So tell tell me your story. Um, about the baptismal cert. Well, well there's a lot of things happening. Yeah. Uh, firstly, I, I met, I was trying to find my sister for years, my half-sister for years, and I was given the run around and I was told that I'd never be able to find her. And uh, before I was 50, just when I was turning 50, I decided to get my original birth cert. Now, because I knew my mother's name and my original name, I'm able to get my birth cert. But a lot of people don't know that adoptees are not allowed to have their birth cert. So we don't have birth cert, we have adopted cert, which is very unfair as well. But um, when I applied for my birth cert, I got a birth cert back, but it was in my name, but the wrong date and the wrong place of birth. So according to the government, I was 52. And you you thought you were 50? Yeah. So I was thrown completely and rang the Adoption Authority of Ireland and they got back on to me and they didn't know what the story was. So they had to try and find out. I was left for two weeks without knowing what age I was, where I was born. So my identity was completely taken away again. So they got back on to me and it turned out that I had a sister that was two years older than me and my mother had named us both the exact same name and that's where the mistake was made. So I actually got her birth cert. So when so, when, you, when your mom had you, so you, you'd be the older sister... I know I'm the younger one. You're the younger sister. I so have then, to point that out. Okay, very important. So when your mom <laughs> had your important. older sister, she gave her the same name that she gave you when you were born two years later. Yep. Wow, First okay. name, second name and last name. Wow, so I can see so, where the confusion came from, yeah. Yeah, so I can understand. But it was a good confusion for me because it turned out that because of this, the Adoption Authority allowed us to meet each other because the mistake was made. So they contacted her within a week. They were very good, I have to say. And I sent her a birthday card, a massive birthday card for every birthday that we've missed. And within a week, she sent me back a letter. Now, they're very strict on letters. You have to usually look at them and read them themselves, I can imagine. So 
uh, but she had put in her phone number into my letter. Which wouldn't be so the done thing ne- currently. No, it's definitely not the done thing. Like it's it's frowned yeah. upon. You're, you're very regulated when you do this. So uh, it took me like two days to ring her because I was so nervous. But when I rang her, she was in the middle of a, a shopping area and she started screaming and dropped the phone. She didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was kind of funny. But I have met her. I've gone over to England to meet her. She's come over here to meet me. And it's like we've known each other all our lives. It's just beautiful. But what a waste of years, Keith. What a, what a waste of years, yeah. Um and down, down through all of this um, from childhood, you had a good childhood. You had two very good parents. Yeah, you had two I had very good parents yeah. and great family. Yeah. And but you still yeah, want you the still... easiest of children, Keith. <laughs> to be quite honest, I think adoption brings its own issues and the sense of loss. I think they say that the sense of of loss is still there all your life until you you know find yourself or find where you came from. Because I, I read in a book one time. It says you don't know where you're going to until you know where you've come from. So I think transparency is a massive thing in adoption. Massive. At, at what age, I mean, when you say you weren't an easy child, you, you had a great relationship with your mum and dad and, and towards you, your mum unfortunately died recently. Yeah. But you had a good relationship and your daughter had a good relationship with your mum. But at, oh, what, at what age did you start wondering and um, at what age did you start digging and looking for information? Well, actually, it wasn't me that started looking at all. It was my mother. My mother was involved in the Adoption Society and she um, had heard that it was very important for children to meet their mothers. So my mother started pushing it at 17, really. She started contacting the Adoption Authority. Wow. I think on, because on behalf, I was going yeah. through a bit of a... Yeah, because I was going through a bit of a, a phase, I suppose, in her eyes, but it was just probably teenage years plus a little bit extra. So um, I think she wanted to see if she could fix that issue or help me in some way. Yeah. So I think that was her reason for, for doing it because she thought that getting me settled would settle me. Or, you know, in well, the if you found where you came from and then you knew you wanted to get to, maybe it would have, it yeah. may, maybe it yeah, would exactly. have helped from there. Yeah. Now I have met my mother. I've met my mother and I've met my half-siblings as well. As other so you've you met your birth mother? I have met my birth mother, but I was very, very young. I was like 23 and it was very overwhelming. Okay. To be yeah. honest, it was very overwhelming. And did she give you any of the details of your birth? <laughs> no. Um, my, I've, you have to deal with the social worker when you when you do all this as well. And the social worker um, just thinks that she had too much of a traumatic experience and too damaged to be able to relate properly with either myself or my older sister. So that was it really. I don't think she, and I was too young as well. I think I was very immature, but I just wasn't ready for the overwhelming feelings that yeah. you get when you do this. And even though the AI, in fairness now, they give you a counsellor and everything, they do give you counselling, but it's just never enough because it's it's such an emotive issue that a lot of people have suffered trauma, both the mother and the child. So it's very hard to get a relationship when you've been taken out of a situation. And thrown back into it, and then go to go go through life with me. Then college, oh. you, you were. Oh, you, you I, I didn't. I I was going to college and go to different colleges. I never really settled, but I ended up uh, managing um, a bar in Temple Bar. Actually, the Oliver St. John, or the left bank, which is next to the Oliver St. John Gogarty, and I just used to uh, work in pubs and nightclubs. Then I ended up in Copperface Jacks, 
I'm sure everybody knows that one up in Dublin. And uh, then I had my daughter Chelsea and I decided to come back to Galway to get her educated because I thought it was the most beautiful place to educate any child and to bring her up. So I rang my mother and said, look out for a house. And I came back down to Galway. So I ended up working in Boston Scientific in Galway where I still work. 19 years later, so hello to everybody up there. 19, <laughs> 19 years under the yeah. belt. But go back yeah. to your go back to your um, your birth mom now. Um, yeah. I go forward. I come forward to your adopted parents in a moment. Go back to your birth mom at this stage. So she's not. She wasn't giving anything. She didn't give an indication as to who your father was. Um, or, no, she or refused. She, she said that she would take his name to to the grave. And that happens a lot in, in adoption. You know, a lot of people think mothers would be ever so grateful to get their children back or whatever, but I'm afraid that's not exactly the case at times. And how is the, relationship, how is the relationship between the birth mom and you? There is no relationship anymore. Um, I end up really ill in hospital. And uh, the usual Irish thing, she was rang to find out medical information, which is really, really important to anybody adopted further. Especially when you have children, you, you figure out that you really need to know this stuff. Yeah. But uh, she refused to help because she didn't want anybody to know that she had a child out of wedlock. So that was it for me, really. It was kind of a case of, you know, he didn't want to help. My partner actually rang her and said, you know, if it was your own child, would you not want to help? And she turned around and went, of course. And he said, she is your own child. So that was kind of the end of the relationship. Even though in the in the last couple of years, my social worker went up to her and tried again to find out my father's name. And she still refuses and still wants to take it to her grave. And uh, she said that she'd like a relationship, but that she thinks it'd be too upsetting for the rest of her family. So that's that's fine with me. That's okay. God, now you've got the oldest... You've got the older sister, the half sister in the UK, and you've got <laughs> yeah. you've got yourself, and you've got your daughter, and you've got um, other family members. And I've got members. a beautiful niece as well over there as well. Yeah. Oh, you have this image of your and daughter. You were saying to me, yeah, like, and she's a spitting image of my daughter. Yeah, they're both absolutely stunning girls. Like, but um, when I went over to meet my sister, a lot of my friends were ringing and going, "Oh, you didn't say Chelsea was going over with you?" And I was like, "No, that's my niece," oh, <laughs> and they couldn't believe the it. Yeah. But c- come back then to the. Which kind of caught my attention, and that's why I asked you to ring me back, and you did. And then we chatted. Yes. Um, come back to the. Um, so I you can't get a birth cert. Um, so you tried to get a birth no. cert, and you were told that they couldn't give you the birth cert because your birth was actually in a special book. No, this is a baptismal. Baptismal cert, cert excuse me. So yeah. I, I, yeah, no, you're okay. I got my birth cert um, at, at 50 then, and I got my sister's one, and then I got my one because they sent me out the second one. So I have both certs, my sister's one and my cert. But then um, I just wanted to tie up all the loose ends myself so that um, in the future, I, I, all I want to do is hold it, look at it, put it into a box, put it away because it's mine. It's part of my history. Yeah. And adoptive people don't have history. A lot of people don't understand that. We don't have any history. So when you're at a family reunion and you're looking at your uncle and going, that's my uncle, he was in the railway or on the railway. We don't have any of that. We can't do any of that. So I wanted that small piece of history for me because it's mine. So I found out, my parents used to tell me I was baptised twice and I just never, I never questioned it. I just thought it was true, like, you know. Yeah. But I found out then from being on the Facebook pages for the adopted people that you're only baptised once. And when I said it out loud, I kind of went, oh God, yeah, sure, you can only be baptised once. So um, I got baptised once up in Dublin and my parents 
um, got me a blessing down here in Shume. That's what happened. So I, one of the women said, say, I was born in St. Patrick's up in, up in Dublin, mother and baby home. And uh, one of the women said, well, that's the Navin Road Church, just to apply to there for your baptismal cert. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I rang and uh, I got a really nice woman on the phone. She's absolutely lovely. And I said, I was just applying for my baptismal cert. So I gave the names and gave the dates and whatever. And she rang me back and she went, I'm sorry, I can't give you that. She said, if it was up to me, I would. And I was like, why can't, it, why can't you give it to me? And she said, it's from the adopted book. I was like, what? But apparently there's two books. <laughs> so there's a book for normal people and a book for adopted people when you get baptised. And I was on the wrong book. So um, she couldn't give it. And I was like, I don't see why. So I pushed her and pushed her on it. And I was like, I can't understand. I said, because I'd, I've heard from other people that um, when they were questioned on it, when the church was questioned on it, they said that it was Tusla that said they hadn't, they weren't allowed to give it. But somebody had contacted Tusla and they said, no, either that's not their policy and that uh, maybe it was somebody that was new on the, in Tusla that had said it by accident. I was like, how is it? So each was blaming the other. But this lady on the phone turned around and she said, uh, well, you're just not entitled to it. I said, what do you mean not entitled to it? It's my cert. So she went, I'm really sorry, you're just going to have to uh, go and ask the Chancellery up in Dublin and get a dispensation to uh, get, your get, get your search. But there's nothing I can do. She said, if it, was, if it was up to me, I'd give it to you in a heartbeat. But this woman was looking at a computer with my search in front of her. And she couldn't give it to you? <laughs> she couldn't give it to me. And so did, a stranger did, was looking at my search. Yeah. And did you get it eventually, Catherine, did you? No, I still haven't got it. I rang the Chancellery in Dublin and... Um, I got on to Evelina and Evelina told me that uh, she would see what she could do and went into the whole thing of it and she'd see what, the, actually said, we'll see what we can do about it. I'm not sure what she has to do with the church, but um, I got an email back then to say, nearly congratulations, we're allowing you to have a statement of baptism, which means that they give you your mother's name, your name and the date you were baptised. It's not your cert. So I messaged back and, and said, well, while I'm, thank, uh, while I'm thanking you very much for giving me the statement of baptism, that's not what I asked you for. I asked you for my baptismal cert. But the, the bottom line here from a conversation is um, that it's still, I mean, what's going on is still wrong within the government system and church system currently. And, yeah, you, like and you want I'm, that to change, Catherine? I do want to change. I want to be more transparent. I want to shine a light on the issue. I want people to understand that it's not a mother and baby home, the two mother and baby home, it's not Besborough, it's not Sean or Sabby years ago. It's here and now. And it's like, things Continues. are only going to change if the public are aware that this is going on. Because, I mean, when I say to people, I can't get my birth cert, I can't get my baptismal cert, they go, no way, how is that? Nobody knows, and this is the issue. I mean, I'm a member of the Catholic Church. I'm, I have no bitterness with the church whatsoever. I know a lot of people do, but I don't. I love the church. I have like, I, I know priests that are doing really, really good work in the community. Okay. And so I don't have any malicious kind of intent towards the church whatsoever. Like, But this is like, this has kind of thrown me a little bit. It's kind of hard not to be a little bit annoyed when, when you get, come, into, come across this. Like. like I applied for my baptismal cert on the 28th and they kind of went, we're only allowed to give you a baptismal cert in your new name. And I was kind of, but I wasn't baptised in my new name. I was baptised in my original name. 
But I think I, I don't think they're very pleased with me because <laughs> um, I actually emailed back and said I think that the Archbishop's stance is ridiculous. It's immoral. Um, it's unfair that somebody's been treated like this, different to any other Catholic. Yeah. I'm a Catholic just like anybody else, and I just said that um, I will gladly take my pretend statement, i.e., my statement of of baptism, and I'll wait patiently for my real statement. And that was on the 28th of May, and I haven't received anything. What we're going to do is we've, we're getting on to the various uh, people, and we're going to come back to maybe later in the programme, Catherine, as well. But your story, sure. is, your story is just so compelling that it's just unfair. <laughs> no. It's just unfair. But just we're, we're, we're waiting. This is for everybody, Kate. Oh. This is every adopted person. Every adopted person, it. yeah. It's just unfair. Yeah, and I, I, know, I know of one person, adopted person, that has got her search, and I think it was by accident. And they're, they're, I think they're going to, of course, I'm thinking they're going to be quoting GDPR. But as I was saying to one of my friends, it's like, godparents, I think this is the issue, that there's godparents on it. Either parents or godparents on the form. But the issue is that, like, lots of parents have chosen godparents that yeah. don't have anything to do with later on in life and vice versa. It could be anthem, they could be transgender, they don't want to be known. It could be dead, whatever, yeah. Why, yeah, mm. it could be a million one reasons why godparents won't be known. But that doesn't affect anybody okay. that's not a non-adoptee getting their getting their baptismal cert. Why should it affect it shouldn't. An, an adoptee? It shouldn't. No. Catherine, I'll come back to it later in the programme. We've uh, calls okay. out and I want to come back to it later in the programme, so I do as well. That's Catherine Burke joining us there. And her, the, her story is just compelling. It really is compelling. Um, I'm going to hold an ad break. I'm going, just going to move um, because my next uh, guest, indeed, uh, Professor Lokesh Joshi, indeed, uh, from Enyoy Galway, that I've known for a long number of years, unfortunately lost his mom recently. Uh, but he's written in today's, or he's written about in today's Irish Times, uh, a leading Irish scientist currently in mandatory hotel quarantine in Dublin has criticised uh, the dehumanising nature of the experience. And uh, the professor joins you on the line. Professor, good morning to you. How are you this morning? First off, condolences. Good morning, Keith. I'm doing well. Condolences on the loss of your mom. Your mom died Thank in you. India, and you went home. I did. I did, Keith. And uh, I guess it's a slightly longer story because my parents hadn't been well for a while, uh, but because of COVID, I wasn't able to visit them. And it's not just me. There are many stories, many people like that, who haven't been able to visit their families for about eighteen months or so, and then unfortunately, my parents caught COVID. And um, my mother was in ICU, but I wasn't able to travel. And then, unfortunately, she passed away, and I did go to India. But the whole process of going there, and being there in the middle of lockdown, and when the COVID was raging, and then coming back, and then going through the hotel quarantine, I think I think it leaves an impression on you, which is very negative. And when did you arrive back into Dublin? I came back on the 6th of June, so I'll be so-called released this Friday. And what has the experience been like for you? You know, to be honest, um, I, I think it's, I, I've used this time to reflect on things. Um, but it, it has also brought me a sense of humility because um, the freedom we take for granted, the fresh air, the walks, everything we take for granted are taken away. And it's nobody's fault. I'm not like, you know, pointing fingers at anybody. I think it's just the process one has to go through. And um, I think prolonged, I guess, isolation, um, it can play tricks on minds. You know, it's a solitary confinement. You know, you're in a room uh, in a hotel uh, all day, all night for two weeks or, or, or 13 days. I don't think it's good for anybody's physical, mental, emotional health, actually. 
And is there any support, um, Lokesh, for your mental health and well-being? Well, to be honest, I get a call. I get several calls every day um, uh, from the front desk or from medical staff or from security. But, and I've spoken with other people, uh, it just feels like it's a box-ticking exercise uh, because they haven't been trained uh, to, to take care of people. They've just been asked to call the number XYZ and say, how are you feeling? And if you say, look, I'm going through this, I don't think there's any support. It's just they, they call you just to be sure that you're okay and you haven't escaped, by the way. It's just so it's just so sad. And when I saw it in the Irish Times today, that's why we, we called you directly. Uh, it's just so sad because you're a very, very successful, intelligent person who's lost a parent, who went to, to grieve that parent. You've come back into the country. You had to have a, um, you had to have a, a clear test to come into the country. And for you to say it's dehum- dehumanising and uh, it has centred you because you're in the same room 24-7 for as many days as you are, it's, I think I'd crack up myself in it. Um, I guess, Keith, look, we've spoken before about this thing. I've, I've tried to use this time just to reflect um, and be as positive as possible, be as optimistic as possible. But as, as I mentioned before, you know, at least I'm, I'm one of the fortunate people who will be free Friday. A lot of people get stuck in limbo. But I do worry about people who may have underlying mental conditions, other health conditions. They may be claustrophobic. They may have loneliness issues. You know, I'm not sure how they'll share through this experience. Not well, I would think, to be quite honest, because it'll only exacerbate it. Because in the middle of the night when you wake, um, you're there and you're on your own and you're thinking. And you're thinking again. And then, of course, you can't intermix with any of the other... And you refer to the inmates. You can't. You can't. It's yeah. Well, yeah well, you're referred here as a number, which is actually wrong because people have identity. Their name is identity, not the number. What do you mean? Uh, you're referred as a number. Are you just a number down the, in the quarantine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody. You know, I, get, I, I don't really blame. I think it's the system. People get caught up in this. You know, so all the security guards come in and say, "I have number, whatever with me. I'm bringing this number to, for a walk. I'm bringing this number back to the room." You know, and it's just a machine. And slowly they forget that these are people who have come from traumatic experiences. They weren't holidaying. They weren't lying in the sun somewhere. You know, they've come back with huge trauma. And then, I guess, to go through this process, you know, anything from the airport to the hotel, uh, I I just don't think it's healthy for people. You know, and as I I, I mentioned that, and again, again, it's nobody's fault. From the moment we landed in Dublin till the time we came to the hotel, not a single person has smiled and welcomed us. You know, as if you've done something wrong by going away to look after your family, which I think is absolutely wrong. You know, uh, and I think somehow the process has lost the sense of humanity and dignity. That's very strong coming from you. Well... Uh, that's how I felt, you know. But th- that, no hang way. on a second. That's your feeling, and you're on you're on a break now. You're on a fresh air break, and you're talking to me. But that, I mean, um, that that's your feeling. Yeah. That's you. That's the way you feel. Or you're waiting for a fresh air break. I'm being told. I'm just about to go in about literally three four minutes uh, because you get three ten minute breaks, and 
I try to make the most of it because really it's, it's lovely out there and just get some fresh air in. And how are you coping with how are you coping with the loss of your mom then? It's been difficult. It's been very difficult, Kate, um, not having seen my parents for eighteen months, and then just on the phone, WhatsApps, just getting the news, trying to stay on top of things. And to be honest, um, I don't think I've had the time to process it, and it's going to take some time because. Um, when I arrived in India, it was more about to deal with the here and now, yes. the chaos, you know. And then, uh, you know, how do I get back to Ireland? You know, because I have family here, my daughter is taking living service, and all those things, you know. How do I get back to Ireland? You know, you arrange things, there are very few flights, you have to have several RT-PCR tests, you go to different airports, you come back. You're worried about yourself catching COVID, you know, you don't want to be sick yourself. And then you come here and I'm going through this. So it's going to take some time. Um, but it's, it's, I, I tell you, it's very hard to lose a parent, you know, or, or somebody in the family. It is. And then you're dealing yeah. with this here. And what you really want is you want your family, your Galway family, indeed, and your, your exactly. university family. <coughs> Excuse me, you want them yeah. around you and put their arms around you yeah. virtually and yeah. all of that. And that's the support that you need. And you're that kind of person, so you are, Lokesh. You're a very personable person. And... I met you many years ago, indeed, with Prince Charles. If you don't mind, please. We were we were mixing in wild circles, and you were doing the introductions, and I was trying to confuse you. So, I mean, you're a very nice person, and I'm sorry that you're going through this, because all you wanted to do was care for your family, and that's yeah. that's the human in you. Yeah, well, I think the key. Sometimes I look at these things. Challenges come maybe to help us grow and become a better person, and have compassion for other people as well. You know, yeah. so um, yeah. I, I'm ju- again. I'm just using this as 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 uh, as an experience to grow, basically. You know, you don't know. You don't need an excuse, Lucas, to grow. You're a good guy, so you are. But you, <laughs> I may, maybe you just needed this kind of grounding, as we all did when I had COVID and I was stuck and I couldn't leave the house and I was trying mm. to work and I wasn't trying to work. But that whole guilt thing, by the way, because I spoke to somebody on the phone during the weekend, they were a, cl- a close contact in inverted commas, and they felt like a locust altogether because they felt very guilty. And even though they'd done nothing, they had an app on their phone, yeah. they got a call. Yeah. And like you're saying that you, you, it's kind of as if you feel guilty for going to be with your family exactly. because your mother yeah. was dying and then died yeah. and you bid farewell to her. And there's no guilt in that. That's, that's yeah. no guilt. Will you go for the air, um, the air break, if you don't mind? We'll touch in, we'll touch base to you maybe later in the week as well. What time do you think you might get out on Friday? Um, it depends when I can check out. I have to go through the security process, HSC process, sometime late morning or so. Is there somebody to collect you in Dublin and bring you down? Yes, I have a good friend who's going to drive me back to Galway. All right. Really grateful for that. That's that's all you need. And can you be reconciled and with your family fairly quickly when you get home? Yes, I will. Listen, you mind yourself and keep strong. Thank you for joining us, uh, Professor uh, Lokesh Joshi there. And that saddened me, I have to say, when I read that online this morning in today's Irish Times. Now, that means I'm running a little bit late and I did have to rush Catherine a small bit, but I will get back to Catherine in the next hour because we have somebody else that can help. So it's kind of an evolving programme. After last week's dramatic late winner against Athlone Town, Galway United welcome Kevin Teeley to Eamon DC Park this Friday evening. And we'll be live thanks to Londres Newcastle Food Hall. Can John Caulfield's men keep the momentum going in the race for the playoffs? Follow all the action live from 7.45 with the Galway Day FM commentary team. Galway Day FM's live League of Ireland coverage is brought to you in association with Londres Newcastle Food Hall. Londres, local like you. 
Hello, Pat McDonough here from the Castle Oaks House Hotel in Limerick, part of the So Hotel Group. We're delighted to welcome you back to rediscover the majestic Shannon region with friends and family. With our self-catering suites, new leisure centre, river walks and excellent food, it's the ideal location for your family staycation. Check out our amazing midweek rates and book direct on castleoaks.ie to save up to 15% and we will help you make every moment a special moment. Try Castle Oaks Hotel from €35 per person sharing midweek. Enjoy great coffee at home with Nespresso Virtua Coffee Machines at Harvey Norman. Nespresso Virtua Coffee Machines start at just €99. And for a limited time only, claim 100 Nespresso Coffee Capsules plus coffee credit when you purchase any Nespresso Virtua Coffee Machine from Harvey Norman. Shop our full range of Nespresso Coffee Machines online at harveynorman.ie or safely in our spacious stores. Harvey Norman, your home appliance specialists. TCC Supply. See in store or online for full details. Tyrrell Auctioneers of Tume and Hedford have been most successful for over 50 years in the land, housing and valuation services in the Galway and South Mayo areas. Tyrrell Auctioneers provide continued satisfactory results with a prompt, personal and efficient service guaranteed. Call 087 2433 297 or 093 24223. When you need urgent attention for an acute medical condition, visit GP and get referred to the Bon Secours Hospital Galway Medical Assessment Unit. Our medical assessment unit provides a consultant-led comprehensive medical assessment and you will receive a rapid diagnosis and pathway to the next steps in your care. Your care will be delivered in a patient-friendly environment and we are a leader in acute medical care in the west of Ireland. When you choose to be cared for by us, you know you are with the best. Now offering GP referred rapid access to our medical assessment unit. Bon Secours Hospital Galway. Advanced Medicine. Exceptional care. Carob Shopping Centre would like to extend a Cade Meal of Folgia to all our customers who can enjoy a safe indoor shopping experience. M&S, Park Jewellers, Headlines Newsagent, Walsh Pharmacy, Carrick Dunn, Peter Mark and Jump Juice are delighted in welcoming you back. To officer on Carob Shopping Centre to announce the new arrival of Sports Direct and USC who are operating over three floors. Visit Brand Max on the third floor. Najin Jarmid. We also have the best value multi-storey car park in Galway City where you can have your car valeted by Crystal Valet. Tarek Shepadorok Lynn. Ireland loves the Nissan Qashqai. Don't believe me? Look outside your window. There's probably one driving by right now. There you go. And another one. They're everywhere. And now, the all-new Nissan Qashqai has arrived. A brand new design packed with style, tech and innovation. And electrified with mild hybrid technology. The all-new Nissan Qashqai. Book your test drive today at nissan.ie. Nissan. Innovation that excites. I'm really enjoying teaching placement. The children's response is even better than I hoped. I also think my Irish Caribbean heritage is helping me connect with students from a range of diverse backgrounds. I guess some of them identify with me. I'm Keelan Simon and I hope sharing my story will inspire others to follow their dreams of becoming a teacher. Teaching transforms. The change of mind closing date for CAO courses that will qualify you to become a teacher is July 1st. For more, see gov.ie forward slash teaching transforms. Good morning to you. Welcome into the programme. Just checking if you're awake uh, this morning. Now I want to go back uh, to Catherine Brooke who joined us at the top of the programme uh, because I had to leave uh, to go to that quarantine situation uh, with uh, Professor uh, Professor indeed, uh, Locus uh, Joshi indeed joining us uh, from anywhere go over there. Um, 
But I also need a little bit of time because I want to try and get my head around the next a- next aspect of this. But um, Catherine joins me again. It's the first time I've ever done this in 30 years in broadcasting and uh, that I've gone back indeed to the top of the next hour indeed with the first hour piece. Uh, but her, pe- her piece is so fascinating. I just want to go back to it. Uh, Catherine, w- we've got a huge response indeed. Um, oh, thanks, Kate. <laughs> yeah, and sorry for cutting you off. Just he, the man no, in question, no, no he, he only had 10 minutes of a break to give us and uh, so we had to try and get to him. But I mean, just to recap for those that didn't join us, uh, Catherine joins us. Uh, she was adopted into a wonderful family home in County Galway and her mom died recently Her and yeah. uh, but her birth mom indeed uh, is still alive and refuses indeed to tell her who her father is. But uh, Catherine herself has done a huge amount of work including pleading uh, with the Chancery in Dublin and the Archbishop's Office in Dublin but nothing has changed. The bottom line here is nothing has changed over the last long number of years and that Catherine and others and those that have been adopted are given no information, medical and or otherwise, which is totally wrong. Somebody mentioned, with that lady, meaning you, think of DNA tracing and testing for family and may even find uh, the birth father. You've gone that route, haven't you? Um, I've done everything, Keith. I've done ancestry and it's amazing amount of people that you meet through. They're very interesting and lovely people that are on the same kind of mission as I am. And I found uh, cousins that uh, from Canada, three three girls and a boy, and uh, they've come over to meet me over in Ireland. So they spent a the night over here with me in Ireland and then went off down to their travels. And the stories are amazing, absolutely amazing. Their mother was um, adopted at nine years old, so she knew who who her mother was and until nine, and then suddenly the mother just signed her over and she ended up in Canada. So I've met all those girls, and in turn I've, I've found a, a niece that belongs to them for them through DNA. So they now have a new niece. Their mother also had a child out of wedlock and gave it up for adoption. And he died a good few years ago. But this niece now is in contact with them every week. They go for lunch. So it's all good, <laughs> to be honest. And, and, and has any of the... Um, I, I know we spoke earlier about your half-sister indeed because of the, yeah. the situation. There were birth certs and wrong dates and you were trying to celebrate your 50th and you, you were then 52, but because your mom put the same name down for, the, for your older sister and you, uh, mm-hmm. such is the confusion. But ha- has it thrown up anything? or Would you like to know who your, bir- who your birth father is? I'd love to know. That's what I'm on the mission for. Like it, it's, um, I know I've gone back. I know who... My great-grandparents are on my father's side and my great-grandmother's side. So I've gone as far as that. I know where I come from county-wise. See, the thing is, DNA has gone past the church and gone past the government guidelines. It has gone way past it. We can find more information in the space of uh, putting spit into a bottle than we have to wait for six years for a toothless to get back onto to find anybody. So it's all good and well with the government, you know, allowing... We're not expecting too much with this government allowing us to get our information because we just think we don't trust them. It's just a case of that there will be another block at some point. There'll be GDPR will be brought up. I just think they're waiting for something to stop them from being able to do it. It'd be brilliant if we did get all our certs. I have all my certs, except for my baptismal cert, because I went and I fought for it. And but there's lots of people, 80 and 90, that they don't have time for that. They're not able for it and they don't have the time for it. Uh, they has, deserve to know. Has your, your stepsister indeed, um, so the DNA test that you've done proves that she's definitely your half-sister. Uh, yeah. But could she be your full sister or am I talking rubbish now? No, she's definitely, no. With the end, uh, when you do your DNA, your uh, DNA is counted in CMs. 
So there's like charts that you go on. So it's like, uh, say, I'll just make it easy. One to 50 is cousin. One to uh, 50 to 100 is aunt. 100 to 50, 150 is half sister. 150 to 200 be your your sister. So you can know by the okay. The so you know by the scale, the scenario. Yeah. yeah. So they they definitely set in, and as well as that, um, I've gone. Uh, an aunt popped up on her ancestry, so I went and dropped a letter down to uh, one of two possible fathers. So we've kind of found her father already. So you found your sister's, your half sister's yeah. father. I'm very good at finding everybody else's, just not my own kids. <laughs> But you've got you've got spunk, you've got determination, you've got energy, and even from talking to you yesterday and again this morning on air, you're not giving up on this. And but you want, no, you want, I'm like a dog with a bone. <laughs> I think it's uh, when I when I see something is wrong, I, I I can't help but just say it. And I know people don't be for being uh, high horsey as such, but if if I believe in something, I really believe in it. But and hang I on, that uh, every child has the right to know. But hang on a sec. All you're asking for is what you are. All you're asking for is your own information. You're not you're not allowed to try and bring anybody else into this conversation. You just want to know for you aspects yeah. of your life and who your father is. You know who your mother is and your mother is, refu- is still alive and it's your birth mother and she's refusing indeed uh, to give you any the detail. The amusing thing is, Keith, and I, I'll be slightly... I found out from DNA that her father wasn't actually her father either. Get which away. Which is another... No, I found out who her father is so your but your birth mother's, your grandfather father. on your birth mother's side is not your mother's father. No, no relation to me. I've got a cousin of of uh, a cousin of or a nephew of the grandfather, supposed grandfather, popped up on ancestry, but not on my page. So I messaged him and said, I was just wondering, was your uncle adopted? Because that could be a reason why we're not a DNA match. And he was like, No, I don't think so. So I said, Well you're definitely not a match to be, so I'm not sure how that happens. So I've been polite. So he went and did another test for me, and he's no relation to me whatsoever. So the only way that could happen is if my grandfather, who's down as my grandfather, is not actually my grandfather at all. Which means my mother's father is definitely not the man that she thought it was. So your mother's, your birth mother's father is not your grandfather? Wow, and not her father either. That that you didn't say that to me yesterday. I suppose we didn't get that to, no. get to that aspect of it. Can, can I go back though to the whole Catholic Church side of things and your birth? Um, yeah, your, you have a birth cert. You have all of that, except as parts of that. Yeah. But because godparents could be on your baptismal cert, now everyone and anyone could be a godparent. And uh, yeah. basically, when uh, christening, and uh, I'm a godfather to somebody. I don't know who. I'll have to find that. I think it's my niece. Or yeah, I think it's my niece. But. But apparently, not apparently, I do remember from baptism um, that, again, you, you, you vowed that you will keep, uh, you know, mind the person, all of that through through their life. Um, but yes. you feel that the GDPR situation, perhaps, identifying maybe that could have been in the home that you were born in or otherwise could have been yeah. put down as a godparent and that they would be in, in trouble over this. Well, I think, you know, I think it's, it's a very handy issue to keep quoting GDPR to people. And if you ask them what part of GDPR it is against, they can't tell you. Because it's just a thing that they throw out there. Oh, no, we can't tell you because of GDPR. It's like, uh, in what sense? And they kind of go, uh, um, like the first lady I, I was talking to in the Navin Road actually said, well, it's because we can't give it to you because, of, uh, you know, you'll have two, you'll have two identities. I was like, what do you mean I'll have two identities? Well, well you'll have two baptismal certs. I said, I already have two birth certs. 
And I said, and actually, it's the government that gave me my double identity. So, so far, I haven't killed anyone. And it hasn't. I haven't opened double bank accounts or I haven't done any of that. So I don't think that's an issue. Plus, you're, you know, quite, you're of, quite happy with your current identity. All you want to know is... Yeah. All you want to know is the history. And you want to know the history yeah. for your daughter and for your daughter and for your grandchildren, please, God, down the road. You'd like just to have the, just to have it. Yeah. But it just proves how difficult it is. Now, more than other conversations that I have, I'm a bit of a fighter. I think it's the background that I came from. But I'm a bit of a <laughs> fighter and I, I, I don't like injustice and all of that type of stuff. And certain things just throw me over the edge. But in this situation here, I have to say, you're fighting for something with the support of your your family, your parents. I know your, your, your mom passed away recently. But I mean, you're, you're fighting with their support and your mom started when you were 17 and you're still fighting in your mid-50s? Yeah, yeah. It is, and it's like, uh, sometimes my daughter kind of laughs at me and she goes, it's your mental torture. <laughs> it's like, it kind of is. Would but, it be closure you know, to it you if you so got it? Oh, massive. That's all I want. I mean, it's such a massive, massive thing for anybody to know who their, who their father is or who their mother is. It's just, it's like the whole, uh, you know, why are you good at music? How come you're good at maths? Um, in my family, everybody has brown eyes and dark hair. I'm the only one with blue eyes and my daughter. And when you walk into a family reunion and look around, they all have dark hair and brown eyes. And you can imagine what's that like, what that is like. That's on your birth, that's on your birth side, you're saying they all have brown eyes. Oh no, on my adopted side. On your adopted side. completely different. Okay. Yeah, so I'm completely different. If you go into a reunion and stand there, you kind of go, oh my God, they all look kind of Spanishy. And you're here with blue eyes. And it's, you know, you need to, you need to have some kind of ground in your life. So where to from here? Because somebody said uh, to the comment line that Leo Varadkar, where is that gone now again? Mm. Uh, if I pull up topic three again here. Uh, Keith has uh, said Leo Varadkar is head of the government and in his role, responsibility to bring in the law to make the relevant information available to her. Catherine should get on to him from there. The issue with that is, like, I mean, we'd be getting, according to this, this bill, we were supposed to be getting our uh, information on that. But there aren't enough social workers in the world to be able to do that. I mean, it's all good and well saying, oh, you can all have your information. But there's a two to three year wait sometimes for up to six years waiting for a social worker. So, if, and that's only for the people that are asking now. If it's brought in that everybody can ask, you can imagine. Okay. There won't be enough social workers. They know that. So they're biding their time and they're letting it run so that it seems like a great idea. And yes, it would. We'd be absolutely delighted because that's what we're fighting for. But we're not holding our breath, to be quite honest. Uh, with all due respect, Keith, maybe that lady's mother was um, protecting her from not telling her who her father was, or maybe her mother doesn't know who he was or is. Oh, that, I, like, I mean, totally honest, Keith, if it was a case that she didn't know who it was, I have no issues with that whatsoever. Just tell me. And then I'll still be able to find out myself through DNA. I have no issues with that. Now, there's a thing called GEDmatch that you can go on and you upload your raw DNA. It's an American site. And you can do a test there to see if your parents are related. So if it's a case that people were um, worried about incest or whatever, you can actually go on that site and put up your raw DNA and they can tell you whether you're a project of incest or not. So I'm 52 years of age. I don't need protection from anything. I'm well able to do, <laughs> to do my own thing. Like. And as far as I'm concerned, I am not... My personality and who I am is not defined by where I came from. So I'm able for any truth. I just okay. want the truth. 
Uh, if she does find her dad, he may not want to be contacted. Everybody should be respected there. Uh, another caller said, Keith, I respect uh, Catherine. Uh, I've been through the same journey as her and there's very little assistance for us. I find Tusla an absolute disgrace, uh, telling me lies and otherwise. And um, many years ago, the equivalent of Tusla told me that my mother was dead and I found out through DNA that she was alive and well. We now have a good relationship. That happens a lot, Keith. I'm onto a lot of adopted people. And it seems, and, and far from, and people say to me, oh, the fathers, you know, where were they, blah, blah, blah. And it's like from the amount of adopted people that I've talked to, the fathers were never told about having children. They were either told that their child died in childbirth or that the mother ran away with an English fella and he was over in England. And the nuns used to actually send letters from England over to the parents to prove it, even though the women were down in Seanrath Abbey or somewhere like that. And the amount of women that I've met, and men, to be honest, that have gone to meet their mothers and fathers, it's actually the fathers that have welcomed them into the family. So that's a bit of a myth that, you know, the fathers don't want to meet you or whatever. And if they don't, that's fair enough, but at least they have the opportunity to know that you exist. And you have the opportunity to say, I exist, this is me. If you want to know me and my family, that's up to you. We're not pushing it, we're not making you do it. But it would be nice for you to at least know. And if you need a kidney, we might be here for you. If um, if you were sitting in front of, say, Roderick O'Sullivan, uh, the minister, um, Anne Rabbit, the minister indeed, Mary Butler, whoever it is that's responsibility for this, because this kind of comes under a number of departments, so it is not, it's not yeah. clinically clear. What exactly would you ask for this morning, Catherine? I would say that rather than giving us apologies and saying sorry for this, sorry for the past, sorry for this, that and the other, give us some action. Give us our information. Give us what we need and realise that what you, like in the Catholic Church, when you sin and say you're sorry, you're forgiven. If you sin and you re-sin, knowing you're re-sinning, it's a little bit harder to forgive you. And that's what the government of the Church have done in this case. They've sinned, said they're sorry. They've sinned again, said they're sorry. They've sinned again, said they're sorry. At some point, they're going to have to stop sinning. <laughs> it's the most simplest way of putting it, and it's the one that people will understand the most. Uh, we don't have answers for you, but uh, there's know, a, a lot of support for you, so there is. They're really and truly, I'm just looking at comment lines here on the left-hand side, straight ahead of me, and on the right-hand side, a, a lot of support for you. Uh, but it's uh, where you take it next. I mean, you're only, I, I, th- I thought, you, I mean, you're, you're officially 52. Uh, so yeah. you are officially, you could be 54 if you weren't careful there for a while. Don't say uh, it. <laughs> but you're officially 52. Like you're still a young person and you still have that fight in you. You did say to me when we were confirming stuff at half eight this morning, you said to me, would you have, you asked me, would I have my DNA test done? And I was offered yeah. indeed to have the DNA test done. Uh, but I declined it because I was afraid what would come out of the woodwork because we're a very small family. There's myself and two brothers and their respective families. And um, and I've two you cousins... You can never have enough love, Keith. You can never have enough love. Loads of love, so I have done. Thank God for that. But the... Um, and I have two cousins in the States, one that I can't trace um, because he's, I, I don't know why, and one that I do know. And then I have some extended families then in Uktarard and in Johishka and that. But they're all, they're all, they're all in the ripple. Um but it's something that I would consider following a conversation with you, uh, that whole DNA situation, because God knows what it would throw up. 
Well, Keith, what I, what I was thinking of is, is for this morning, I was saying to end on or whatever, is it's, it's Father's Day. What better time to buy somebody a DNA test? You may not be helping anybody in your family. It may not uh, have anything to do with your family. But an extended family member, you might be able to get them home. And it may help somebody out there. Because you can find your mother and father from second, third cousins, fourth cousins in ancestry. You can work back through trees and everything and you have a good idea. So if anybody's thinking about do it, doing it, just do it. Mm. All it is is spitting in a tube. That's it. And you can be totally proud of it. You can answer messages if you want and you don't have to. Mm. It's up to you. Uh, Keith, my husband can't find his uh, father because his birth mother's family who are dead and they're worse than the nuns, this caller said. And uh, many other calls coming in. Listen, Catherine, well done. We'll touch base again in a couple of weeks' time, but thank you for joining us. And thanks indeed um, uh, for being as honest as you are, uh, but joining us on the line there. That's Catherine Burke joining us there. Your thoughts and comments, please. The comment lines on 091 77077 and 53995, should you want to get through to us uh, today. Uh, Keith, I was listening to your speaker earlier about the man uh, going home to India to his mother and it made for pathetic listening, especially when everyone is so afraid of the Delta variant of the virus. So cop on, this caller said. And uh, Jerry joins you on the line. Jerry, morning to you. Which one are you test driving, can I ask you? Well, actually, this week I have the four series. Last week we had the two series. And I'm glad you pulled them together because a comparison has got to be made between the two. We take the two series first. It was a 218 injection petrol version that I had and that is a 1.5 litre three cylinder petrol and drives the front wheels because uh, BMW are renowned for rear wheel drive cars but some of their smaller models recently have gone to front wheel drive uh, if you take the 4 series Grand Coupe that I have this week um, that has a 2 litre diesel in it and uh, drives the rear wheels so the, the comparison has got to be made between the two the front wheel drive versus the rear wheel drive as a BMW fan most people would be uh, happier with the rear wheel drive does the front wheel drive match it? probably not it is not as exciting to drive considering BMW there's nothing per se wrong with the car it's a really compact uh, smooth running car with a lovely engine and a somewhat have you comes with a price tag uh, starting at 35000 uh, The one that I had was 38000 because, as usual, they throw in a bunch of extras. A couple of things to say about it that was really impressive. They come up and tell us that uh, the fuel consumption should be around 6.2 litres per 100 kilometres. That's the, what they say in the catalogue. I easily got that, Keith. Uh, but I must say that while on the motorway, I drove the Nico mode most of the time and that does save a fair bit um, compared to driving it in comfort or even sport which you can do um, but the, the, you know just driving it sensibly easily made that 6.2 litres in all money that's over 45 miles per gallon so people will look at that and say yeah hey look at that's decent um, if you can um, get away with the front wheel drive which generally speaking front wheel drive cars are, are, are a little supposedly a little bit better on the road, but BMW have perfected the rear-wheel drive over the years. And the four series that I have this week, now first and foremost, the shape 
and the style of the 4 Series is my favourite BMW and has been from the time it came out. I absolutely love the shape of this car. The shape of the 2 Series, uh, there's a couple of areas where I wouldn't be overly uh, fond of. The rear end in particular would be one, but the 4 Series is absolutely spectacular in my my book. Mm. The one I have is a two-door coupe, which is particularly nice as well. Now, when you come to price, you're talking about a starting price of, of nearly 54000 The one that I have sitting outside my house here in Tume at the moment is nearly 63000 but it comes with a host of extra stuff. It's got an eight-speed automatic gearbox. Looking at consumption, um, they're telling us that it, this one can get up to 70 miles per gallon or 4.0 litres per 100 kilometres, uh, which is the better measurement, I think. It's probably a tad over that, but not a lot. So BMW, in fairness, have come to the marketplace with better fuel consumption than they've had in the past. They've had to because Mercedes have been leading the way here and the battle in Germany between Mercedes and BMW is absolutely huge. Um, 200 euro per annum uh, to tax this one on 127 grams per kilometre. The 2 Series, um, that comes with... um, uh, 200 um, euro per annum as well. So, you know, um, both engines, the 1.5 petrol and the 2 litre diesel, coming out the same CO2. It's an interesting comparison. I know the one I would uh, prefer, I'd prefer the 4, obviously. But if you want to get into BMW and you want to start there, uh, a really good place to start um, is the 2 Series. It's, okay. a little, it's different to the 1 Series, which is a bit smaller but definitely I would look at the 2 Series if you were a BMW um, if you had the aspirations to be a BMW driver but certainly the 4 Series is fantastic I mean the situation is um, you're nearly down about 20,000 in the difference there Joe. Yeah, and it's it can be seen like, with the car and the fittings and all the compressors yeah, and the extras and stuff like that that come mm. with the car. Uh, a huge amount of extras. The list of extras, the list of extras alone in the two series um, would bring it f- uh, from thirty eight thousand up to forty two. The list of extras in the four series would bring it from. Um, up to 68000 from a base price of 56000 So 12000 extra. The, the two cars are completely different as far as specification yeah. is concerned. The extra options alone on the 4 Series come to 11000 So there you go. That's, that's where the car companies make their money and those optional extras and the things that you want to add to the, the original specification. There's a little bit of money in, in, in it for them if you... Uh, if you get more options inside your car. Absolutely. Um, hi, Keith. Could you ask Jerry Murphy this morning, uh, what does he think of the new Yaris 1-litre hybrid? Have you come across that yet, Jerry? The new Yaris 1-litre hybrid is or has recently been announced as the European Car of the Year, and rightly so. Now, the European Car of the Year is based on all sorts of criteria. I think it's an absolutely smashing little car. Um, apart from anything else, its looks are fantastic. It's bigger than the original, just slightly bigger, so you get more interior space uh, than the original Yaris. I think it's a fantastic car. I think the one-liter hybrid engine setup also works very, very well. You've got to remember that most people driving a Yaris drive it around town. So yeah. the electric element of that hybrid will be in play more often 
than the petrol element of it. But certainly, if you're in the marketplace with that type of car, it's probably up there as one of the leading ones. All right, before I let you go today, I know that Katie had spoken to the CCPC last week uh, when I was away in relation to the uh, buying of um, used cars without essential checks. And they discussed that then, but I came across one recently indeed where somebody bought a car uh, without doing any checks at all and, and paid for the car. But there was serious finance left on the car, so there was. So it really is crucial that if you're buying a car uh, online or you're buying a second-hand car, that you do these checks, Ger. Yeah, well, the the one crucial thing here is that if you buy a car from a garage or even a motor dealer or whatever, you do have protection under the competition uh, laws in this country. If you buy it privately, one-on-one with a private individual, whether that is up on uh, um, one of the selling websites or not, you do not have the um, cover um, you know, you, you don't have protection under consumer law in this country. Um, talking about the Competitions Communal, uh, and Consumer Protection Commission, they have a form which is up on their website online, which if you're buying a car of anybody, that you uh, there's a, a buyer's uh, checklist form, um, you should ask whoever is selling you the car to fill it out. There's all sorts of questions in it that they have to answer yes or no. The other crucial thing is do not pay cash. If you're buying a car privately of somebody, always pay in a manner which can be traced. In other words, credit card, um, debit card, uh, through a bank transfer or what have you, so that you know where your contact is at all times. And whatever chance you've gotten of getting some uh, recompense from the say not going right, well, at least you have, you know, a, 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 a trail to follow if you need to go to court, for example. Mm. All right, well, they can get uh, further details indeed from the CCPC website. But yeah, and just download that form and ask yeah. whoever you're buying the car off to fill it out and sign it and, and answer all the questions that's on it. And there's a number of simple questions on it. It's just basically you tell me, has this car been crashed? Um, has it had any mechanical, major mechanical work done on it? Um, when was it last service? Is there outstanding finance on the vehicle? Which is crucial. Um, but all of these things need to be checked. Believe it or not, nearly a quarter of the people buying cars in this country buy them uh, on a one-to-one situation with a private uh, person. And less than half the people in this country will ask the question of anybody, including off a garage or a, or a motor trader, only half the people ask if the car has been taxed or sorry, been crashed. Wow, you kind so of assume... The same questions have got to be asked of them. You've got to ask whoever is selling you the car the list of questions. That form on the CCPC website is perfect. Okay. All right, sure. Listen, mind yourself, enjoy the four series until next uh, Monday. What are you to get next week then? I believe it or not, we're going to the budget side of the motoring uh, market. We're going to have the Dacia Duster. The Dacia Duster. Looking forward to seeing a part outside Monday night. Thank you, Lee, for joining us. Uh, Jerry Murphy joining us in the driving seat. Now, a very good morning to you. Welcome into the programme. Uh, my next guest, I don't know, is it going to be... Um, it's a midlife crisis, or what is it at all? Um, but he has decided, indeed, with some uh, close colleagues who've been in training for a long time, uh, to cycle from uh, Mizzenhead to Mallonhead. So Mizzenhead uh, in uh, Goalin in County Cork to Mallonhead 
in North Mallon in County Donegal. When you look it up on Google Maps, it says it takes 8 hours and 11 minutes to drive it. Uh, but um, Deputy Kieran Cannon joins you on the line. Kieran, good morning to you. How are you today? Can you hear me all right there, Kieran? Oh, seem to have a slight problem. Let me just reset that if you don't mind. I thought all these little problems had gone out of the way, so let me just see. Can I reset that again? And see, Kieran, can you hear me okay there? Oh, he can. Oh, he's he's in a bad area. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll try and get Kieran up on the phone if you don't mind. There, just um, we're he's in a bad area. I can hear his um, broadband just breaking up uh, from there. Uh, that happens, by the way. That's why we're living in. Uh, but he's doing so, and the rice, the 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 fundraising indeed for this is all going to go to the Hand in Hand Foundation. We're a wonderful charity indeed who help uh, people on an ongoing basis uh, when they find that. Um, Cancer hits their house, but he hits. He joins me online one today now. Kieran, good morning to you. Kieran, can you hear me okay there? No, I'm a gone on hold now, so I am. Don't know what happened uh, there. I'm gone on hold. Kieran, can you hear me there? Uh, we have three modes of come. He must be in a, in a fairly dodgy area. They will do. Um, let me go uh, at this stage, though. I want to go to Leslie Kehoe, Kyo, who joins me on the line. Leslie, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks uh, for having me. Thanks for joining us uh, today. I don't know where we lost um, poor poor Gerdon Cannon. We'll find him in a minute. He's doing um, this yeah. um, massive undertaking, so he's with some colleagues to raise money for Hand in Hand. Absolutely. I mean, it is just an incredible feat. And as you said, I mean, I can't even picture it on a map. You know, driving that length of it, you'd, you'd plan for weeks for a journey like that just to go on your holidays. So I can't imagine the preparation that's gone in to cycle it. And I know from listening to Kieran speaking about it, there's been an immense amount of dedication and we're just so honoured that they've, I suppose, put that commitment in and they're doing it for such a worthy cause and have chosen us as their charity. And I know from speaking to Kieran that, you know, it's really been the driving force and the motivation behind it. So we're just so appreciative. Absolutely. Kieran, are are you with me now? You are. Yes, Keith. Yes. Okay, don't know what's going on. Sorry about all that. Yeah, I'm on the train to Dublin, so as you described, the coverage is not the best. So no, it's not the best. And I said, was this a midlife crisis? And you said, no, you're you're past a <laughs> midlife crisis. Um, but you did so because you said that you were concerned that hand in hand, um, you wanted to raise the profile of hand in hand because of the work they do, and you felt that not an awful lot of people knew about them. Yes, Keith. Um, and hand in hand have now become the partner charity for. Uh, our local cycling club, Seven Springs Cycling Club, which has members from all across East Galway. And I myself would know of one or two families locally who have been, I suppose, um, supported so effectively by Hand in Hand as they um, faced up to that extraordinary challenge of having a child diagnosed with cancer. And what I really um, appreciate and value is the work that Hand in Hand do with stepping in you know, the, the the trauma that a family experiences when they're first told that really, really devastating news that their child has cancer, and their whole world is turned upside down. And what Hand in Hand are seeking to do is to set things right at home. So while our doctors and our nurses are working really effectively, we now have some of the best cancer care in the world in making sure the child recovers from cancer and the parents are focused on that. Hand in Hand steps in and does everything else. Mm. Make sure that the other siblings are brought to and from school, and that the fridge is full of, of healthy food, and that the laundry is done, um, and they also offer excellent counselling to all of the family members. So it's a fantastic service. As they describe it, 
it's looking after the ordinary in extraordinary times. So mum and dad and the child can focus on getting better and everything else is taken okay. care of by hand in hand. So we wanted to ensure that um, people were aware of that work. Uh, and as I say, it's a partner charity for our cycling club and the eight of us that are cycling. I wanted to support them by doing some fundraising for them okay. and, as I say, raising awareness of that wonderful work. So when do you leave Mizzenhead then, uh, Kieran? We leave um, Mizzenhead, and if you don't mind, Keith, I'm going to name the team because they're a fantastic bunch of guys. That is Frank Burke, Gerald Kinerney, Ryan Connolly, Kevin Coxon, Colin Duwam, Dylan Farrell, Tom Tui, and myself. We're leaving at 3 p.m. from Mizzenhead on this Saturday coming. Um, it's just under 600 kilometres, so... Um, we will be leaving and hoping to arrive um, straight through the night and hoping to arrive in Malinhead before 3 p.m. on Sunday. That's the cutoff time for the 24 hours. So um, we also have a fantastic backup team traveling with us, people who will keep us fed, which is very important, keep fuel in the tank, uh, and people who will keep us safe on the road and people who look after our bikes and make sure everything is in running order. So we've been coordinating uh, this for the last two or three months and bringing all the team together. And as we've been training all winter long, uh, out in the dark, mostly doing endless loops of our various um, five-kilometre radiuses around County Galway. And we, we think we're ready, and we're really looking forward to it. And uh, I want to say, uh, as well, Keith, thanks to everyone who has donated so far. We, we, we set a target of €5,000 to raise for hand-in-hand. We've already exceeded that. So we're now resetting the bar at €10,000. And you never know, we might just reach that by, by Sunday evening. Now, this is not a relay. You're all doing this, so you are. But I was looking at uh, Google Maps, and I just have screenshots of it here this morning. It says to to um, it says to drive it. Are you going to go up the middle of the country, or are you going to go via Dublin? Yeah. Up the middle. No, of the... no, we're 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 going from um, Mizzenhead on to um, Charleville, Limerick, uh, Athlone, Ballymahan, Longford, Inniskillen, and then finally on on to Malin. So, and it's not a relay. Each of the eight cyclists is doing the full distance, and we're just there to support one another because inevitably keep uh, over a 24-hour cycle like that in that distance. We're, we're all going to go through difficult times uh, and it'll be and the opportunity will be, I suppose, for each of us to spot when another one of our colleagues is not in a good place and support them and encourage them and, and hopefully get all eight of us uh, over the line within that 24-hour time limit. And you're going right through the night because I did, when I threw it into Google Maps uh, this morning for coming on air here, in Studio One, it says that uh, it's 574.2 kilometres uh, via the R586, but it's 30 hours cycling, they're saying. You're hoping to get it done in 24. Yes, Keith. Um, we need to, to maintain an average speed of 27 kilometres per hour over the 24 hours to make it for that cut off. And um, we're going to have six 15 minute food stops. So, literally, get off the bike for 15 minutes. Stuff your face, um, fill yourself full of fuel, because that's essentially what you're doing. You're refilling the tank, get back on the bike and go again. Uh, and then, as I say, if we manage to do get those six 15-minute breaks and keep them to a strict 15 minutes and then do 27 kilometers an hour while we're on the bikes, we will make that cutoff point. And, you know, it's something we're all anxious to do. It's something I've certainly been kind of planning for, for a very long time. Uh, I did it with a few friends back in 2017 in three days. I did the second half of a two-day event with Tom Tooth last year. So the idea was half let's give it a go and we can get it done in one day. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward. We've, we've trained really hard. We're, um, we're a piece of group of uh, individuals. And the, the youngest is 22, the oldest is 55, uh, and everybody in between. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And as I say, we're delighted to be able to support the work of Hand in Hand, who are, their national headquarters is in Loch Ray, 
um, and they work with families and support families all across the country. All right, I'm going to let you go back to the uh, the train, if you don't mind, because the quality is, is uh, to, to deteriorate again there. Leslie Kyo, just um, you're head of fundraising with Hand in Hand. How can people donate uh, to this wonderful event uh, kicking off this Saturday at three o'clock? Yes, it's really simple, Keith. Probably the easiest thing to do is to type in Ireland in a day, I donate into Google and come up that way. Or indeed, you can just go to our Facebook page and you'll find all the posts we've shared with links to Kieran's fundraiser. I know that he himself has shared it on his Twitter page and it's on the Seven Springs cycling page. There's lots of ways to find the link. But Ireland in a day, I donate is the way to get to it. Ireland in a day, I donate uh, from there. And again, all of the funds, all of the funds um, are going, All every penny donated to that um, the lads are covering their own costs and all of that and support is all covered uh, so all of the money raised is going directly indeed uh, to hand in hand How, I remember the day you started by the way really good do you? I do yeah Assumpta was one of your founding members and others uh, that were involved at the very beginning there uh, so you're a few yeah a long time ago now you're a few years in existence you are yeah but the, the work that you've done has just been tremendous it's fantastic Keith to go I suppose from that um, regional charity that was just supporting families in I suppose the local area and in the west to now be able to expand to support families literally in every corner of Ireland and it's so fitting that Kieran is spanning the length of Ireland because that really is where our services reach so yeah it's great from those beginnings to now be able to support families throughout the country Okay. well once they pull in indeed to Malinhead at 3 o'clock on Sunday God willing uh, and once they get up uh, to that beautiful area of uh, the country and they see that lovely air sign at the very top of it. I'd say it'll be a very emotional day. And I'd say they'll need to rest for a few days after it, so they will. Uh, Leslie? I'd say so. I'd say it'd be a well-deserved uh, beer, I hope, waiting for them at the same time. Oh, excuse me. Uh, no alcohol before 11 o'clock in the morning. You can't none of that type of talk <laughs> oh, here. Oh, that's very true. It's going to be Absolutely, sparkling yeah. water they'll be having at the top when they get there. So there's... <laughs> Listen, oh, I'm sure there's plenty of rehydration anyway, yeah. And I'm sure the families will be there to greet them as well, which is a fair old trek up for the families, but uh, there you go. Listen, well done to you. Keep in contact. Anytime we can help, uh, please do get in contact with us. Leslie Kyo joining us uh, there, head of fundraising with Hand in Hand. And again, if you want to donate today, Ireland in a day, I donate and get further details from there. Now, Car- um, Caroline's... Um story, sorry, Catherine's story at the top of uh, nine and ten hours indeed has uh, taken quite a few comments uh, in here but one of them that I can read uh, today as a 56 year old adoptee I was informed by Thusla last Friday that I have five siblings that I knew nothing about Thusla have been attempting to contact my birth mother without success for the past few months without this contact I will be unable to contact her other children my brothers or sisters the stress and frustration of the process is absolutely awful I have a very serious illness and can totally sympathise with your caller, Catherine, this morning. Uh, I'm not criticising Thusla. Indeed, the gentleman that I've been dealing with there has been more than helpful. The whole process is taking its toll on me. Yours sincerely today. And other calls to that effect coming into us as well today, saying, Keith, um, the situation in relation to um, Thusla and adoptees, it's just wrong, this caller said, the way that we're all being treated, and I wish it was different. I'm 68 years of age and I've only had one vaccination. I know people who are 58 and they've gotten their full vaccines. They're not doing the vaccines by age. Clearly, the government are trying to fool us. And this is totally ridiculous, this caller said. And uh, Keith, I find it this very interesting. Sometimes you have parents who want to get to know uh, their children, but the children don't want to get to know them. I hope she finds out who her father is, her birth father is. Uh, keep up the good work and let it go from there. 
Another caller said, why do you need a social worker? Question mark. Really? The woman only wants to find out who her father is and she should be helped uh, from there. And uh, another caller said uh, to the programme today, my partner has traced his great-grandfather to her half-brother through DNA, yet she cannot find who her mother is, this caller said. And it's very distressing on everybody involved. Of course it is. Very distressing on everybody involved. Now, though, if you want to get in contact with us on 0917700977, you can do so. Yet to come at the programme in association with Harvey Norman, we've got the tech bite for you. Ingus Burns joins us. He's the new president of Galway Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Jordan Ralph joins us from the design. Um, he's a designer from Studio Drop. And we do get to Trevor Griffiths in the Today Emotional Logic book uh, on today's programme. So all of that and more to come between now and the end of today's programme. Don't forget 53995 is there for you. You can WhatsApp us to 87 0958968. But let's head towards the 11 o'clock news and join Anthony Giblin and the team for the 11 o'clock news and death notices. Stay tuned for that and more to come. Yeah, Katie has jobs for us. What have you got for us today? You can sit back because I have five pages of jobs for you this morning. The first one is from Cambridge's of Galway. They're hiring an accounts assistant. Two years experience in a similar role is required, preferably with cash handling. You can contact 091 562259 or retail at com for further information. The Lady Gregory and Gort are seeking a chef to party and accommodation assistance. You can send your CV to info at ladygregoryhotel.ie. Advent Medical have vacancies for production operators in their Parkmore branch and a moulding technician and a quality technician for their Inverne branch. You can email your CV to careers at adventmedical.com by Monday the 21st of June with the job you're applying for. Senior car sales executive is required at Tony Burke Motors, leader Lexus dealership in Ballybrit. Excellent communication, customer service and computer skills is required for this position, along with the minimum of three years motor sales experience. You can apply with your CV to careers at tonyburkemotors.ie. Career-wise recruitment are seeking to hire product builders and earn more. Have you a solid work history, experience in working shifts and have you manufacturing experience? If so, email productbuilders at careerwise.ie. O'Boyle Electrical, Clare Morris County Mayo is looking for second, third and fourth year apprentices and qualified electricians. Must be willing to travel and safe pass is required. You can call Michael on 086 19 Therapy Centre in Kashla in Costello, Connemara is looking for a fully qualified and Koru registered physiotherapist in part-time. Flexible working hours and you can email therapycentre.ie at gmail.com. Or you can phone 083-0818-333 for more information. O'Loughlin Insulation requires a cavity wall insulation fitter full-time. Full training will be given to the right candidate. They're looking for a full clean C1 driving licence. Must be over 23 years old with fluent English. Must have a safe pass, current up-to-date CPCs and digital tachograph card. There's an immediate start based in Currafin and own transport and manual handling is required. You can call Pat on 87 9011909. Cleaners are required for a busy leisure club in Athen Rye. More information from Tim Rabbit on 091 or you can email tranquillityleisure at gmail.com. Newtown Kids Club Limited in Abinakmoy are currently looking to expand their staff team at both the nursery and the Willows Preschool and After School from individuals qualified from Level 5 to Level 8 in ECCE. You can send your CV to newtownkidsclub at yahoo.com. The bar in Ishmore Islands, County Galway, is currently looking for chefs of all grades. Accommodation is provided and excellent rates of pay. You can call Bridie on 087 610 
Galan's Hotel in Bellinasloa are looking for experienced hotel receptionists to work as part of their team. Candidate will have the ability to work as part of a busy front office team. Good computer skills and ability to communicate fluently in English are essential for the role. You can email info at galanshotel.com. And finally this morning, Athenry Truck and Refrigeration Centre have the following vacancies. Store person, qualified HGV mechanic, apprentice HGV mechanic, and more details from Rachel on 87 The Galway Bay FM Job Spot in association with TK Car Sales Hedford Road, Galway. A wide range of quality approved cars, jeeps and commercials for sale. Fully serviced, NCT prepared, with comprehensive warranty, history checks and finance arranged. See tkcars.ie. Now, yet to come on the programme, we'll be speaking with the new president of Galway Chamber, indeed, uh, very shortly. And we'll also be uh, going to Harvey Norman and the Tech Bike slot as well. So if you're into sport and watches and all of that, uh, very interesting. God above. The old Commoner Garden watch is a thing in the past, I do believe, at this stage. But uh, we'll be going to that. And also we'll be spending some time speaking with Trevor Griffith as well. Uh, about his book, Emotional Logic, uh, the book as well. So all of that and more to come between now and the end of the programme. Don't forget, though, if you want to get in contact with us, you can just uh, text us to 53995 or WhatsApp us to 087-0958-968. Uh, Keith, uh, trying to register for the vaccine only takes uh, ages, uh, 40 to 60 age bracket I'm going for. And morning, Keith. Are we talking about uh, some type of Irish world record for that cycling trip? Well done to them. I'd say there will be a record. I mean, if Google Maps says it's taken 30 hours and they're going to get it done in 24, it's a massive achievement uh, for them. Plus, I think it's great, as he, uh, as Kieran Cannon said earlier on, I think it's great indeed to um, give the, the, the publicity to Hand in Hand. They're just a wonderful, wonderful charity. And the AGM indeed of uh, Galway Chamber took place and Galway Chamber has really changed in the last couple of years. Uh, under the direction of uh, their chief executive, new relatively new chief executive, Kenny Deary. Um, but again, they've changed, they've been more proactive, they're more engaging, and that's, I suppose, because the membership keeps changing and more demands are on the membership and indeed on the executive within it. Well, they've got a brand new president as of last evening. Angus Burns joins me on the line. He is the, uh, oops, uh, the current president of uh, Galway Chamber. Angus, good morning to you. Congratulations on your appointment uh, yesterday evening and uh, well done. And you do have a vision for your tenure of office. I, I do, Keith. Thanks for having me on um, and, and good morning to you. I was just talking to, to Katie Finnegan there and congratulating her. On, on, on getting onto council as well, which is which is great, and um, really happy with the um, with the, with the mix of of, um, of people that we have on council now representing the the membership. Um, it's, a, it's a great change of split. We're we're fifty fifty males and females, which is I think it's a first, and it's uh, it's it's the way to go. Really delighted with that. Um, much stronger sectoral mix um, this year. Um, from from FDI through to professional services, uh, the cultural charity side, uh, the banks, etc. <clears throat> I think we've really good representation this time. So um, d- d- delighted for that, and, and and really excited about about things ahead over the next year because um, there's there's a, there's a lot now that's uh, that that's turning in Galway. Yeah, there's a lot of really good things that are that are finally happening. You know, after after maybe a few years that we felt. Geez, are we are we are we going to crack on with things or or, or not? And uh, the, the last couple of years now feels as if um, things are things are are starting to to turn nicely. And, and I think with 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 our um, with with the challenges that we've had with the with the pandemic, yes, we've um, we're, we're hopefully nearing the end of it. 
but you know, strangely, I, I think Galway is really well placed, um, going beyond in the in the in the new way of working and and, and living. And, and strangely, I think I think Galway is going to going to really capitalise on it going forward. There are so many moving parts, though, and and the ch- the chambers. I think all chambers in the country have evolved. I mean, if you look at the. Uh, and I know that the chambers around the west coast of Ireland are all working extremely well together. But when you see the reaction, indeed, of Shannon Chamber and Ennis Chamber and Limerick Chamber uh, to what's going on in Shannon Airport, and then Galway rose in behind that. Uh, if you take of all of the chambers that are working together on the west coast, um, it, there's there's a there's a lot of strength in it. So there is. Yeah, and it's and it's 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 very important to have that strength because when when you look at those chambers individually, that they're really we would say the the only locally biased business organizations um aside from the aside from the councils that is but in terms of a you know private business organizations they're really the only locally biased uh, voices you know all our other organizations semi states and the like have, have have national mandates but the ability to to shout out locally and be very very protective and, and ambitious of of um of, of the local city and local region is really important. So when when you bring those chambers together, and I think we've made great strides over the last year or two in terms of working with other chambers, um, we, we, we can bring a different a different voice in terms of in particular lobbying lobbying government, but but demanding that focus on our on our, on our region. And you know when we team up with with Shannon Chamber and and Limerick and and, and Sligo in particular, we we can come together to to voice that demand for for more capital and investment allocation into the West. It's it's an it's an easy one sometimes for for for, for Dublin not to not to listen uh, to, to our region and, and maybe put some of uh, our priorities down the national priority list. But you know, us coming together as, as chambers for the region, you know, really allows us to push those priorities up the list and uh, and make sure that we get those important infrastructural pieces into the region. Like you, um, you you'd have a very in-depth knowledge indeed with your work uh, and the work that you do from an accountancy point of view at Grant Thornton in how businesses operate and you'd be very well aware of the, the, the counties you're talking about and the chambers you're talking about and their membership. I mean, the amount of money that that membership is giving to the government from a taxation point of view, VAT point of view and other taxes point of view on an ongoing basis means that it has got to be listened to. Yeah, but so often, Keith, you know that there's a there's a silent majority in the in, in the country who are just uh, cracking on with their day to day. That they're busy, busy making money, busy, busy working, uh, busy, you know, with thousands of people people in in employment, and and they need that, you know, that they need that voice in their representation because they're, they're they're too darn busy with the with the day job trying to trying to make things work. Yeah, you know? and and that's and that's the importance of the of the chamber because you know the way i see it is that the voices voices get lost in the in the noise you know some parties are 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 louder than others but when you see the impact of private business on the country the the thousands and thousands of people employed you know mortgages paid houses bought kids put through school um and and the enormous tax tax take in particular from, from, from income taxes um you know, sometimes it, it feels like that silent majority, and that's absolutely something that the chambers are out to out to change. And uh, but that's that's where Galway has led, and I suppose it's with the new executive and with all of that that they're not afraid to challenge and they're not afraid to 
to actually stand in front of people and say, this is what we need. And a tremendous amount of lobbying has been done, certainly in the last 12 to 16 months, right through COVID, and asking the, the relevant people the hard question. I mean, you've had the likes of Mary Lou MacDonald, you have the, the likes of Tisha, you have Michal Martin. They've all stood up and listened. And they've all been part of Galway Chamber. Yeah, that, that, that's hugely important. And, and what we think is hugely important is, is, is the tone of the way that, that, that we challenge. So, you know, absolutely need to be need to be firm, but we're not about to be divisive either. You know, we need we need consensus, and you know, it's it's not just it's not just a, a unified message for for the you know for the for the Dublin based centre, um, but it, but it's also locally being being on message. You know, not falling out together like life is too short now. We need to we need to make progress and and, and not be divisive. So you know, huge efforts are going in. Particularly at the moment now, ensuring that we're we're line ball locally uh, across all the various organisations, not just the chamber, in terms of being unified in our in our ask, and then keeping the pressure on uh, in in a in a positive manner, but mm. keeping that pressure there for, for, for progress. Because at this stage, you know, it's all about delivery. It's all about building on momentum. You know, the, the future is good. So you know, let's just keep moving with it. Listen, we look forward to working with you and thank you for joining us uh, today and good luck with it. Uh, Ingus Burns, there was no celebration last night. It was all virtual, so it was. So, uh, unless you had it in the Burns household last evening, Ingus, but uh, we wish you well and we look forward to working with you and uh, Kenny Deary and all the team down there as well. The new president of Galway Chamber, uh, Ingus Burns, joining us uh, there. Quick commercial break. We're back with our piece indeed with the team from Harvey Norman and we're looking at our tech bite next. Stay tuned. <laughs> Bespoke sofa and interiors, always the right fit for you. Now open in Briar Hill, Galway. Tech Byte on Galway Talks in association with Harvey Norman, your specialist destination for technology at the Gateway Shopping Park, Nakara. I'm here today with Lee Burgess and Harvey Norman, Nakara, and today we're talking about connected health. Watch. So are we mainly talking about watches here then? Yes, smart watches would definitely be the, the main thing involved with Connected Health. Uh, the very big range of smart watches, including uh, Fitbits and Garmin's that all track your health, like heart rate and steps tracking, that kind of stuff. And um, what else does a fitness tracker do? Using smart watches uh, to connect to your phone to track such things as fitness with smart notifications uh, like your text messages and phone calls. And uh, yeah, tracking steps, heart rate. Most fitness trackers will obviously track uh, your heart rate, your steps, your calories, um, your, even sometimes your stress and your blood pressure on the higher end ones. It's mainly just a really handy tool to have when you're uh, doing your fitness, out jogging, out exercising, even just if you wanted to clock how many steps you're doing in a day to see how you can improve. And are they fairly accurate, the heart rate and the blood pressure? Would that be fairly, because people would like checking that, you know? For the most part, uh, depending on the device, the higher end ones would be very, very accurate. Um, the, they are very accurate. They're not to be used as medical devices ever, but definitely they're uh, very accurate with their readings. Suppose one of the main questions is, do you need a mobile phone? All the information, like the time and your heart rate has to be logged on something, uh, uh, and that would be connected to the phone. So the best way to do it is get a smartwatch that's correlating to the phone that you are using. So um, if you're using a 
Samsung phone, the best watch to get is always going to be a Samsung watch. If you're using an Apple uh, phone, getting your Apple watch would be definitely the best way to go about it. Uh, so other than that, uh, like you said, Garmin would be one of the most popular ones. It can be used with uh, any phone, as long as it's got a, the latest Android version on it, really. Um, then they will have a big range of them uh, for fitness and for smart notifications. And I suppose since lockdown has started, people have really gotten into sea swimming and swimming outdoors. Would most of these smartwatches be waterproof? Uh, yes, so uh, waterproof, not so much. I would say highly water resistant. Uh, the best way to do it is you can go for some light surface swimming, uh, no problem on uh, nearly all of them. Also, you have uh, you can go in the shower with them, no problem. Just uh, yeah, don't do any deep sea diving in them for too long, otherwise they'll definitely get damaged. And other exercises then, you'd be talking cycling, running. What if you were maybe just pottering around the house, would it count your steps then too? Uh, absolutely, it does count your steps anywhere you go during the day. So uh, even just walking around, if you're doing nothing, you you will still get clocked at the amount of steps that you're doing. Yeah. And say if you have one of those elliptical machines in the house or a treadmill, it would track that as well, would it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, smartwatches have a something inside them called an accelerometer. So it doesn't mean just because you're not actually moving doesn't mean that it can't clock your steps. So for the most part, GPS is what it's uh, being used to count your steps and the distance travelled. But the special device called the accelerometer will count each step that you're doing on a treadmill or an elliptical you will choose the mode of fitness that you want on some of them like if you're going for a cycle choose the cycling mode uh, once you choose the cycling mode then it will clack that you're yeah, doing that on the, on the bike and elliptical would do the same thing and then you can attach them to other apps like Strava and MyFitnessPal and you can see the route that you've done if it's using GPS or you can look at what other people have done and see if you can beat their time uh, yes that's absolutely right yeah. so you can connect it to all the other apps like MyFitnessPal and Strava they'll all work together and you'll definitely get a full rundown of all your fitness and steps then so you do a range of these different smartwatches here. If someone comes in, would you be able to set them up for them here in store? Uh, yeah, so actually we do offer a service here uh, in our uh, LoveTech stand. We uh, will take in the watch, we will connect it to your phone, we'll download all the updates, which means then that you can just put it on and you're completely ready to go uh, out, of the, out of the bat. I think one of the things that I love most about my smartwatch is that it tells you how you sleep. How does that work? Yeah, so it's actually um, a sleep score. So it's a really, really cool thing that uh, gets added to smartwatches where leave the smartwatch on when you're going to bed and it will clock the amount of deep sleep you get, the amount of REM sleep you get, uh, it will clock um, basically how good your sleep is. It will give you a sleep score that you need to maybe improve on, like going to bed at the right time so you get the full sleep cycles. If you're waking up at 9 in the morning, maybe the best time to go to bed is just half 11 or midnight, and it will tell you that and the amount of sleep that you got, and you'll notice a difference. So when would you charge it then if you wanted to count your steps during the day and you wanted to count your sleep during the night? When's the best time to charge it? Yeah, so uh, the battery life in these usually lasts around four to five days, depending on if you're using GPS and music. So uh, if you wanted to ever charge them uh, just one night out of the five, take it off, leave it on a pad, or even if you're not using it to count your steps during the day, uh, it really doesn't take too long to charge, the same as a phone. You know, an hour or two on the pad will, will charge it mostly full, so then you can get back to your fitness tracking again then. Now we're used to seeing people walking around with little white earbuds in their ears, chatting away. It looks like they're talking to themselves. Can you talk to the watch too? Uh, yes, so the higher end watches like the Fitbit Sense and the, um, the Samsung uh, Galaxy Watch 3, it will have an inbuilt microphone inside of it. So that means if you're getting a phone call and your phone is in your pocket, you, don't, you never actually need to take the phone out of your pocket. You can just swipe the answer on the watch and talk to the person through the phone, uh, through the watch, and they will. And is there a way of turning off some notifications that you're not constantly bombarded with your WhatsApps and your phone calls and your text messages if you just want to use it for, say, sport? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. There is options and settings inside your phone and the watch that can turn off notifications at any time. If you really don't want the constant buzzing on your wrist uh, with notifications, you can turn that off. Uh, there's a li- little bit of regulation still being done about the, the payment options on watches. Apple Pay is completely compatible with every bank. You can use that. You can actually, instead of tapping your phone onto the card machine, you literally tap your watch onto the card machine when you have an Apple Watch with Apple Pay. Um, Fitbit Pay is only available on um, AIB, uh, KBC and and with Revolut, uh, Bank of Ireland not so much yet, but it's still working on it. It'll be soon. Uh, Samsung Pay is not very um, is not it's only used with KBC for Ireland at the minute. So they're still working on the regulations for everything else. But other than that, of Fitbits and Apple Watches, you're you're good to go. Really, you can just look at the watch uh, with the mask on. It judges your eyes instead of your whole face uh, shape, and it opens up the phone for you, which is really handy. So uh, no more pulling down the mask or typing in your pin when you're just so used to just looking at the the watch. You can just look at your uh, look at the watch instead. Pop in, ask any of the members of staff in the computer section. We're all fairly versed into the uh, smart watches. Other than that, pop into Love Tech and ask any questions you need, or if you ever need to set up of a watch or anything else pop into Love Tech we'll sort you out Tech Bite on Galway Talks in association with Harvey Norman your specialist destination for technology at the Gateway Shopping Park Nakara. Mm, interesting there well done to uh, Lee Burgess indeed from Harvey Norman there uh, congratulations uh, great um, great achievement altogether well done uh, on that now let me take a quick commercial break here and I'm back just after these we have a very interesting uh, book coming the way stay tuned Now, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's uh, programme. Yesterday, I was hoping to get to Dr. Trevor Griffiths, indeed, about his new book. Uh, we're getting there, though, today, because he and his colleague, Dr. Marion Langsford, uh, have released Emotional Logic, Harnessing Your Emotions into Inner Strength. It's an alternative to cognitive behavioural therapy as well. It's a fascinating book and a great time of the year, indeed, uh, to bring it out, just as we're hopefully getting out of this whole pandemic. And uh, Dr. Trevor Griffiths joins me on the line. Uh, Trevor, good morning to you. Congratulations on a great book, by the way. Good morning. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Thanks for, for, the, uh, for the... Yeah, congratulations. It's great to be out there. It's good to have it out there, but it's a great time to put it out there as well. Uh, yes, there's no doubt. I was saying in the introduction that, you know, that everybody is facing change post-COVID. Nobody knows the way the world's going to be shaping up. We've all got hopes. We're all going to get disappointments. Um, and that's what Emotional Logic can do. It, it helps people to connect with those disappointments in a more constructive way. So, yeah, it's timely from that point of view. Can I ask you just, I mean, I know what logic is, but then if I throw the yeah. word emotional before logic, what is that? Yes, I, I purposely put those two together um, because the logic is all about the process of adjusting to a disappointment or a setback. And we're always facing losses in life that we tend not to name. We just sort of get on with things and try and push on through. But, but there is the emotions that come with losses hidden within setbacks and disappointment are all there for good reasons. The trouble is they get called negative emotions because they don't feel great. But they're actually your energy gearing up to help you to make a move to adjust to something that's important to you that's been hidden inside this disappointment. But we end up just sort of getting overwhelmed with the feelings and maybe can't think clearly enough to harness that energy. So that's what emotional logic does. It, it helps to explain how these emotions fit together 
to make a single adjustment process that's really constructive if you can name what it is that's really important to you in this situation that you want to recover to get back or to prevent the loss of. Can you give so that's how we bring together the logic and the emotion. The, okay. the logic is the process of reasoning through what's important to you, and you can make decisions about where you want to be in that process, but the emotion is actually connected to it as your energy gearing up to actually put that action plan into effect. Can you give me a... So, pra- can so you give way, me the way we take a different angle on emotions. Uh, Dr. Trevor Griffith, could you give me a, just a practical example of that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if let's just say you've had to cancel a holiday um, and, you you know, you're feeling pretty overwhelmed with work, so there's a lot of emotion buzzing around, disappointments, um, and it's quite possible the sorts of lost emotions that crop up are anxieties and fears, uh, feeling shocked, uh, the angers and the guilts and the depressive emptiness. And it's quite possible when facing several disappointments, one accumulating on another, simply to get overwhelmed with the feelings and, and start acting out. Some people will withdraw, getting depressed. Others will get anxious. Others will get a bit aggressive and, you know, try and you know, argue with people about situations, get confrontational. And so it all, it all gets into a bit of a mess around feelings and behaviors, and people get criticized, saying, oh, get your emotions under control. But what we do, we have um, we developed methods using card sorting, where people, we say, don't tell me how you feel now that you've lost this holiday. Use these cards to show me how you feel. And as people lay out these cards, the way they move them around is showing what's going on inside their inner heart. And that tension or or distress that's going on there, once it's visible outside, you can make decisions about how you want to harness that energy to move on. You can slow down the whole process of emotional reactivity and talk with it. A lot of this is about talking with people. It's about conversational skills. You know, how would you talk to a friend, a relative? How do you talk to your teenagers, you know, employers? Uh, so the language that we use starts moving more towards what's important to me, what the values are, and what action plans we can put into place to address that value, that, that thing that's important. So in the holiday situation, you might be saying, well, actually, what I really needed was just a bit of peace and quiet with my wife or something. And, and so you might say, well, I can't go there, but I, I do know that there's a, a beach along the way that, we could go to fairly regularly, take a picnic, um, you know, some very small thing. That might be a silly example. No, no, but you're, you're saying taking small steps because the larger steps may not be open to you, be it for COVID or be it financial or be it for health reasons or otherwise, but you're, t- you're talking about replacing the major problem with some smaller nuggets of positivity. Absolutely so, because that harnesses your energy into an action, which is what your emotions are for. Emotion is energy in motion. And, it, you know, the, the, we're not meant to just sit on our emotions or harness those feelings or get them under control. We're meant to go through them, to name what's important and harness that energy into even if it's a small action, yeah? Um, provided it's linked to a named value or what's important, it'll actually transform somebody inside. It, it prevents 
that sense of isolation and distress or tension building up. And that's why emotional logic prevents mental illness and socially disruptive behavior. It, it releases the energy in a more constructive way that builds relationships instead. It, it slows everything down, enables you to think in harness with your emotions, and, and that opens up new possibilities in life. And, and does so, the book, yeah. the book then uh, that we're talking about uh, today again, which is uh, co-written indeed, uh, the book we're talking about here is Emotional Logic, the book. Does it give us the tools indeed? Because what we're talking about today, what you and I are talking about, are very real situations that people find yeah. themselves in on a minute-by-minute minute basis, never mind an hourly or daily basis. Yeah. I mean, for the last 15 years, um, I've been developing the charity that teaches this. Um, and the book pulls together stories that demonstrate how the various tools that we use get inside difficult situations, a whole range of difficult situations. Um, and so people can start at the beginning and, and read through and progressively learn in more and more depth how emotional processing can get complicated, but also how a little bit of learning and understanding can help to release that tension and help people explore new ways. So, so the first part of the book is um, Dr. Marion Langsford, which is actually my wife, who just kept a professional name um, as Langsford. But it's, it's eight stories from her general practice you know, anonymized and with permissions, but showing how the method can help to prevent um, depressions and anxieties and you know, um, self-harming behavior and post-traumatic stress and so on, things like that. And then the second half of the book is more stories that I've been involved with, with the whole community, tending to engage more with the rough end of emotional literacy, the people who get into disruptive, confrontational behavior, perhaps criminal behavior even, um, things have happened have happened in prisons and uh, um, and in drop-in centres for, for dropouts and so on. So, so emotional logic has a very wide appeal uh, to prevent problems, and this book has brought together these stories, linking with explanation of how the tools could work for you, for the reader, um, and take you through at a, a gentle pace in that way. It's available in all good bookstores, but um, again, it's called uh, Emotional Logic, Harnessing Your Emotions uh, into Inner Strengths, indeed. So you're turning a negative into a positive. Uh, and yeah. the, the tools that you're given, indeed, uh, within the book will help you to take that journey because you're not alone, by the way, if you suffer from something like this, or suffer is the wrong word, but if you if you if if this happens to you, you're not alone. Um, but the book is there. Dr. Trevor Griffiths, thank you for joining us uh, today. Congratulations, well, congratulations to not at all. To that, congratulations to yourself and Marion on that as well. On a, on a great book, it really is. And again, we'll put it up online. But it's emotional logic harnessing your emotions into inner strength. Fascinating other story coming the way. Finally, uh, today, um, Jordan Ralph joins me uh, on the line. He is a designer with Studio Drop, and Studio Drop is an architectural design project originally commissioned uh, by the arts organisation Drop Everything for. Um, uh, Galway 2020, European Capital of Culture. And the studio will launch in the summer solace 21st of June. I can't believe we're nearly there. Offering a, a summer of creative residencies uh, uh, through until August. Uh, but uh, Jordan joins me on the line today. Jordan, good morning to you. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Good. Thanks, Andy, for joining us uh, today. Uh, again, the team at uh, Drop Everything, um, you're spending some time, so you are on one of my favourite places. I've only been there once in my lifetime in Anishir. Yeah, it's a fantastic island, isn't it? 
I've been lucky enough to spend be back and forth between the island and Dublin there for the last month and uh, I've been really enjoying my time there. Good on you. And again, this whole project uh, with um, Drop Everything for uh, Global 2020, how is this going to um, pan out over the coming months? Sure. So, as you said yourself, the, the residency is opening on the solstice and it's opening with our first resident who is Maria Somerville. Um, she's an incredible Irish musician and she's going to be spending a week in the structure working on music and I think hopefully broadcasting some radio shows from the studio as well. And following her then there'll be a succession of various different Irish artists working in different mediums who will spend a week at a time in the studio working on projects and participating in this year's Studio Drop, which is kind of acting in place of the, the regular Drop Everything Festival. And again, so will it ch- will there be a rotation every week then? Is that what you're saying to me? Exactly. I think it will be between every week to 10 days. Uh, one artist will switch up and then another artist will move into the space. Um, and again, where can they get the, the schedule of who will be doing what? And how can, they, how can they get access to this? Sure. So um, I believe if you go on to Drop Everything's website, which I think is dropeverything.net, and there will be a tab for Studio Drop on the homepage. If you go there, you'll be able to find out all the information about Studio Drop. And also the Instagram page for Studio Drop will have any information as it becomes available about access and visiting times to the studio. So you've designed this facility then on the uh, on the Iron Islands? I did, yeah. So Mary Nally, who is the, the curator and kind of mastermind behind Drop Everything, approached me last year about designing Studio Drop. And it was a dream project, to be honest. I've, I've always been really excited about tiny structures and small spaces. So when she approached me about doing this piece of micro-architecture, I was, I was very excited. And we kind of wanted to, we, we, we went and visited the island straight away and looked at potential sites for the studio and kind of started having concepts for the structure itself. And it became really clear from quite early that we needed to do something that was kind of really relevant to the island of the people and felt like it was from that place, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So we, I kind of started looking at deployable structures, um, designed for harsh environments and excuse me one one kind of um one design piece that really stuck out for me was the south african antarctic center which is a beautiful kind of almost uh, spacex like design that could be helicopter lifted into space and dropped in the antarctic and so that was kind of a really interesting reference point to begin with but then after that we started looking at native coastal forms we were looking at Martello Towers and Cluckons, which are beehive huts, and the, the beacons you would see along the coastline of West Cork especially, and those kind of structures, and they would started to really inspire the design a lot. Um, and they all had one thing in common, which was that they were they're cylindrical structures that kind of taper inwards as they rise. So the, the reason for that is because on the coastlines of Ireland, obviously, you get really strong gale force winds and the cylindrical structures uh, kind of stand their, stand their ground in the wind and the wind wraps around them rather than kind of pushing them over. So 
that was that that was kind of like that was what really informed the the shape and the structure. It's fascinating. So, um, where can one of can, can we have a look at it online? We can. Sure. So, there. If you go again, if you go on to um, the Instagram for Drop Everything and the Instagram for Studio Drop, um, you'll find pictures of it. If you also Google um, Wallpaper Magazine, they've they've ran an article about the piece where where there's lots of photos of the structure. And you can also go on to jordanrothdesign.com where there's, there's images of the structure as well. And what happens, by the way, um, when all of this is over then? Where does the structure go to? Sure, good question. So at the moment, we are hoping to find um, a more permanent site on the island of Inishir to move the structure to. Um, we, our dream would be to kind of produce more of the structures and kind of have a colony of them where where artists could come and spend time and it would be a more permanent home for the studio drop and drop everything kind of artist residency. Um, the structure is designed in a, in a very unique way where it can be kind of taken apart and put together like a giant Lego set. So it's easily enough movable within the island or to a different site somewhere in Ireland. So well done to you. So if they wanted to, if they did a good Instagram and just put in uh, Studio Drop or Drop Everything, they can put it in from there and uh, get further exactly. details from there. But it's a, it's an interesting project. And from there, if they go to those two locations, they can participate. They can see what's going on and they can follow it on an ongoing basis. Very interesting, the whole thing. And it starts off indeed uh, with the first artist in residence, uh, Maria Somerville, musician and resident host on NTS Radio. And they're based in London and America and all over the world, Shanghai and everywhere. Uh, so well done on that one. Uh, congratulations uh, on it. Um, uh, designer Jordan Ralph, if they want to get further details, they can just put in Jordan Ralph as well and get further details uh, from there. Jordan, good luck with it. Will you be spending a little bit of time there just minding, of course, the structure uh, over the coming months? I will. I'm actually planning on, on taking a week off work and spending spending some time doing my own artist residency out there. So I'm, I'm very excited for that. And I'm also heading out there, back out to, to Galway today, to the island, um, to kind of help the team put some finishing touches on the structure before Maria moves in next week. No pressure at all, Jordan. We all like a little bit of pressure. I, I cannot, I was actually saying, saying that to somebody yesterday, like the uh, 20, 22nd of June, is not the middle of the year or something, 21st, 22nd. Can't believe that we're halfway through the year already. And uh, just it's just amazing. Oh, I know. It really is. Listen, keep up the good work and wave at us as you're passing through on your way to the Iron Islands. Well, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Designer Jordan Ralph uh, joining us there on the programme. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so. Just you can email kfshow at goldwaybfm.ie. have to say one of our guests this morning has captured a lot of heart, Catherine Burke, that is. And uh, a lot of support too for Kieran Cannon and Leslie Keogh indeed. Uh, but for Kieran Cannon indeed in that fundraising cycle from Mizzen to Mallon. Somebody said, why didn't he do it the other way? He'd be coming downhill all the time. <sighs> he doesn't like coming downhills. He loves going up the hill, so he does, but not coming down the hills. But anyway, uh, we'll keep an eye on that uh, between now and Saturday. And the lads on Saturday will keep an eye on it right through to Sunday at three o'clock as well. Uh, on sport here right throughout uh, the weekend as well. So we wish them well on that. <laughs> That's it for today. We're back with you live from uh, Studio One tomorrow morning. Don't forget the Cahirlik Awards for Galway County Council Cahirlik Awards are taking place on live, live from our studios upstairs indeed at six o'clock this evening. 
Uh, Cahillac James Charity will be joining me and we'll be announcing the winners of the, in the various categories. So join us live on Facebook and Twitter and all of the uh, Galway County Council um, social media outlets. We'll be uh, live from Studio... I forget what number it is upstairs, but it's upstairs anyway. And um, we'll do all the TV bits and pieces. So we'll be coming from there from 6 o'clock until about 10 minutes to 7 tonight. Join us live. For that, I'm just going to go over coco.ie and get further details and you can follow us on that. Katie produced today, Siobhan took your comments and we'll be joining you live from Radio Studio One tomorrow morning just after nine. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Bye-bye now.